Welcome to 153 Great Podcasts, a ministry of 153greatfish.com. In this episode of Christian Menorah, I want to replay a very effective sermon on the prophet's calling, a neglected idea in churches today. Where are the prophets of God? Are they in the New Testament church? They seem to be hidden. But I thought that this sermon would help those who don't feel part of the pastoral calling and cannot understand what they are called to do. Um, I encourage you to pay attention, take notes, and may God bless your day. Open up your Bibles to First, chap- First Kings chapter 19. Today we are going to talk about the call of Elisha. First Kings 19. So what's the meaning of Elijah? God is Yahweh. What's the meaning of Elisha? God saves. What is the meaning of Joshua? God saves. What's the meaning of Jesus? God saved. So the, three ty- or the two types of Christ are Joshua and Elisha. And he was given the ministry of not showing who God is, but what God is like. and What was his character? And so that calling that Elisha had is the same calling that each and every one of us has. To present to the world who God is like. Or what God is like. So we're going to get into it, 1 Kings um, chapter 19. Before we get into it, I want us to understand what is a calling. When it comes to our calling, first you have to hear God name you. And throughout the whole Bible, God names His people. He calls them the royal priesthood. He calls them the light of the world. He calls them the salt of the earth. Throughout the whole Bible, God names His people. And the name that He calls His people is the calling in which they had. So if they were going to be the royal priesthood, they were going to offer spiritual sacrifices. If they were going to be the light of the world, they had a mission to be the light of the world. And so we have the same calling to discover anytime God calls His people a name, that's your calling. That is the calling that God is calling you to be and to fulfill. Alright, like we said, Elisha's calling is not to show God who is, but what he is like. The condition of Israel at the time of Elisha is the same as Elijah. You'll find that it was the same darkness working behind world leaders, working behind the throne, imposing idolatry on the people, oppressing the people. And then you see the great compromise of God's people. There was a time in which the people were devout followers of God. And then you see that they sway to worshiping Baal. And that is something that we see even within the church today, is that we have such a gathering of believers that are so easy, easily compromisable. Like they are so easy to, compr- to compromise because maybe our roots aren't strong or maybe our foundation isn't strong because we kind of just go with the wind. We're very emotion-driven. So we're going to kind of get into the calling and how that affects our calling. All right, 1 Kings 19, 19, to the end, to 21. It says, So he departed from there, speaking about Elijah, and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen, oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. All right. 
When you look at the call of Elisha, you have to kind of break it down line by line to understand like spiritually what is, what is the situation that is, that is going on. So let's start at 1 Kings 19, 19. It says, number one, did Elisha volunteer for the call? Did Elisha say, please, please pick me, pick me, pick me? That's not how it works. Is that what Elisha was is that he was sensitive to the call of God, but he was not volunteering for the call of God. God isn't looking for volunteers. Because volunteers are looking for activities, right? Somebody that's volunteering for something is looking for just something to f- float their boat or to, to amuse them for a short period of time. And you're going to see by the tone of Elijah's response to Elisha and what Elisha did, why that's true. Why God is not looking for volunteers, all right? What happens? It says, he's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he was with the 12th. So the first thing it says, he has 12 yoke of oxen. At that time, that was a sign of prosperity. 12 yoke of oxen, each yoke is two oxen. So he has 24 oxen. It's like he has 12 bulldozers or 24 bulldozers, okay, plowing his field. And it says he's pushing the 12th, which means that they have servants that are pushing the other 11. So they have all kinds of servants. They have all kinds of oxen. He's coming from a very rich background. And then Elijah goes, he passes by him, and he throws his mantle on him. What does the mantle symbolize? The mantle symbolizes being clothed by the Spirit, or he's giving him the calling of the Spirit. Basically, he's giving him the Spirit. It's almost like when a king is anointed, he's anointed with oil. Well, Elijah decides he's going to throw his mantle on Elisha. And we're going to see, we're going to break it down. Neither Elijah initiated the call or Elisha. And you'll see why that is. First of all, it says, He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. What does that remind you of? Is this comparable to the person that says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever I go, but let me bury, first go bury my father and my mother? It's similar, but it's not the same thing. Because the other one in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9 was going after, right, he loved his parents more than the calling. But Elisha, if you look at what he did when he left, he did several things. Number one, he, he offered his inheritance. He gave up his inheritance. What did he do? It says, Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh. So his inheritance of the oxen, which was what they used for working in the fields, it was going to be his financial security. It was going... It says he offered them as sacrifices to God. And then what did he do? using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. What Elisha did is he went back and burned all of his bridges. And that's something that is important to the call of God. You know, a lot of us, when we want to follow God, will say, what is convenient? What will work for me? How is it that I can follow God, right? Have your cake and eat it too. I don't know why anyone would have a cake and not want to eat it, but that's the saying, okay? Have your cake and eat it too. Basically, he's saying, if I'm going to follow God, I want to make sure that I cut off any ties that is going to pull me back to the world. When we follow God, God wants surrender. He doesn't want to volunteer. He doesn't want something just to say, okay, I'll do it temporarily. Also, there has to be a divine constraint. What does that mean? When you're called, there are four four things that you will recognize a calling by. Or to discover your calling, you have to ask four questions. Number one, what do you feel prompted to do? What do you feel constrained to do? What do you feel like is working inside of you that is calling you? You know, throughout the 
Old Testament, you might find a prophet saying, the burden of the Lord was upon me. In order to discover your calling, like I said, it's not something that we just volunteer for and say, sure, I'll do that. It's number one, what do you feel prompted to do? What do you feel pressure from the Holy Spirit to do? Sometimes, like I said, it's described as a burden. Even to the point where the burden or this calling or this prompting overcomes any excuse, any argument, anything that you would offer back, it just doesn't, doesn't work. Sometimes can you think about that prompting that God has made called, may have called you to before and you just have all these excuses? If you give God enough time, He will overturn all those excuses. And that's something that we have to be sensitive to. If you want the call of God, you have to be sensitive to giving God time, to overcoming again all the excuses that you put before Him. Second thing is, what do you feel pleasure in doing? Okay, you might find in some of the callings of the prophets, the initial shock of the calling, right? But Moses himself was a very good shepherd, okay? So when Moses was called, he was shocked by the call to have to go back to Pharaoh and to lead the people of Israel and to go into Egypt and to become essentially the leader of Pharaoh. But who had been more trained among all the Jews more than Moses? living in the palace with the highest education, with all these things, you saw Moses being trained and molded, and it was almost as if it was something that he would enjoy. The beginning was the initial shock, and you find his excuses back and forth with God. Often you might find God giving you dreams about it. He might cause you to dream about something great. That could be, again, a way to discover your call. So the first thing is, what do you feel prompted to do? Number two is, what do you feel pleasure in doing? Number three is, what do you feel power in doing? What do you feel power in doing? Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Romans 12, verse 6 gives us a clue on how that works. He says, having then gifts, St. Paul speaking to the church of Rome, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. He's talking about there will be a grace that accompanies the call. When you feel a certain power working within you, there are some people that might find when they preach, there is a power working with them. They feel like they have an anointing. They have a special grace where other servants of God who might have different gifts may not feel the grace in preaching. Other people might find a special grace in doing outreach, in visiting the lost, and running after people outside the church. There's just a grace. Like things just kind of click for me. I don't know how to teach you to do it, right? I can't give you five steps on how to connect to somebody's mind or heart. I can't do it. I just have this grace working in me. Some people might find that feeling within them. Is there a certain grace that you have? Maybe singing. Could be singing. Maybe administration. Maybe it is leadership. So part of your calling, understanding or discovering your gifts, what do you feel power in doing? And the fourth thing might be, often your gift might receive recognition from others in it. You might be told all the time you are gifted in this. Like you might be called or invited for something. You might be praised in a certain thing. Why? Because the people around you, God may have manifested the gift that you have to all the others. And that is something that you might find that God is trying to reveal to you in your gifts. Okay? Another characteristic of your calling is that it will catch you off guard. Okay? It often catches you off guard. Moses is up there shepherding some flock and boom, there's a burning bush. Like he wasn't saying, I'm going to go and look for something. Maybe God will give me a sign. As he was doing it, there was... Something that caught him off guard. Look at Saul of Tarsus. As he's coming down to Damascus, okay, 
it was something that he wasn't. He was going to persecute the Christians. And on his way, in continuing in his journey to Damascus, he was joining the Christians. Okay? God had appeared to him on the way and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Your call will catch you off, will catch you off guard. It may not be what you thought. And in that, you have to understand that sometimes you have to be sensitive to the work of God. It's going to catch you off guard. And then you look and you say, why Elisha? Elijah had described and said, there's 7,000 knees that have not bowed down before Baal. You have Elisha who's a farmer. He's a, he's a normal farmer guy who knows how to push or tread oxen or tread, tread the field with oxen. Why Elisha? Again, there's always, have you ever heard the saying, God often, sorry, God doesn't call the qualified, but he what? Qualifies the cold. Okay, so he looked to Elisha, and when Elisha had given himself to the call, God had qualified him to do what you'll see throughout his whole life, amazing things that he did. Then what does Elijah say? How does Elijah respond to Elisha when Elisha says in 1 Kings 19, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Verse 20, and he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? You want to know what Elijah is telling you? What? Why are you following me? He's saying, this isn't my calling. This is between you and God. I'm not going to try to convince you to follow me. The, the call doesn't come by convincing. I don't want to sell you at coming and fulfilling your call. It's between you and God. It has to be at a point where you willfully have accepted the call. I can paint a picture. I can tell you what you're going to do. I can do all these things. But at the end of the day, it's between you and God. That's why Elijah... He threw the mantle and he ran. He walked by Elisha, threw the mantle, left him, and Elisha began to run after him saying, wait, hold on. And he says, what do I have to do with you? It's not between me and you. It's not my call. It is God's call. And that is something that you find very special in his call. <laughs> All right. When Elijah responds, he's basically saying between you and God. But you have to understand there's a decision to be made. Every call, okay, there's a price to be paid. In every calling, there is a price to be paid. So it wouldn't be nice if Elijah came and said, Come on, Elisha, it'll be great. We'll have a blast. And then boom, Elisha, Elijah gets taken away into heaven. Okay, now Elijah has to face the worst king. The Bible describes King Ahab as the worst king in the history of all time. So all of a sudden, you know, he sold Elisha. He gets taken away with a chariot of fire. Imagine Elisha's like, uh, excuse me. That's not what we, that wasn't in the contract. You know, we don't have all these terms. He's going through and he's trying to say, this is between you and God because you're going to pay a price. If you want the blessing, you have to understand coming with the blessing of the call, there's a price to be paid. Suffering, persecution, loneliness. And then God didn't call Elisha to be a star. He didn't tell Elisha, hey, you're going to be, right, a type of Christ. He said, you're going to be the servant of Elijah. Okay, you see that in verse 21. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. God calls people not to be stars but to be servants. Okay? I think sometimes you might look at some hero who's doing something great, who's causing this great impact and say, I want to be a hero. God's not looking for that person. The person that wants to be a hero in the service is not the person that God is looking for. God is looking for a servant. And the servant of Elijah is exactly what God wanted him to be for that time being. And we're going to see why that was. God wanted Elisha to help Elijah fulfill his vision. And basically telling him, one day you'll fulfill yours. But now it's time to help Elisha, Elijah fulfill his vision. All right. 
The next time you see the name Elisha is in 2 Kings chapter 2 if you turn your Bibles. And we're just going to read that passage. It says, And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Skip to verse 4. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Verse 6. Then Elisha said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has answered, has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. All right. What isn't shown in the story is that from when Elijah put his cloak onto Elisha to this point when Elijah is going to leave him and Elisha will be the great prophet, it was 10 years. What happened in those 10 years? When you read throughout the Bible, you'll see that all of God's servants always had some period of time. One of them is Saul of Tarsus. Saul was cold on the way. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're going to be a great vessel for me. And then three years in the desert of Arabia. You have David, who was anointed king by Samuel, ran away from Saul for the next 17 years before he sat on the throne. God prepares his servants. Though God may call you, he's going to prepare you. And that preparation takes, takes some time. You're going to find Moses himself. God called him. Prepared him in the palace and then 40 years later after being in the desert is when he got to lead the people of Israel. So I want you to understand that every one of us has a calling and your calling might be to be great, but he needs you to be his servant first. And then the second thing is that he needs you to go through his system in order to prepare you. His first test that he has was the test of loyalty. So Elijah told him, hey, three times, Elijah, stay back here. I'm going to go somewhere else. And he says, as the Lord lives, I won't leave you. Elijah was testing Elisha's commitment. We have such a fickle society, such a fickle generation of people who are willing to go until it gets hard. And then as soon as the ministry gets hard or inconvenient, we leave. So Elijah says, okay, stay here. And Elisha says, and I will not leave you. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. God was testing his loyalty and his commitment. He wanted to make sure that his love was not a convenient love, but it was a covenantal love. A covenantal love is saying, I will give to you no matter what, even if you leave the relationship. I will stay faithful, which is what the covenantal relationship of marriage is. I will do my part of the deal, regardless of whether you do your part of the deal. And that was covenantal. Elisha was in it to win it. And that's what God wanted to see. Two things tied him up. Number one, He says, as the Lord lives, so his fear of God. And then he says, and as your soul lives. So he was tied to God and tied to Elijah. It's one thing for me to say, this spiritual leader is great and I'm tied to him. And if that person happens to leave, I give up. Or am I tied to God first before I am tied to any man? And that was what you see in the characteristic of Elisha. You see, there's such a deep pain in being deserted. You see it in Paul. He says, Demas forsaken me, or he forsook me for love of the world. And he talks about at the end of his life when he's writing to Timothy, he says, 
all have forsaken me. God knows that I have no one to help me. Even St. Paul is talking in deep pain in the last words that he wrote in his life. The pain of being forsaken. And so God wanted to make sure that Elisha wasn't looking for a convenient love. Elisha was in it to win. He wanted to be the servant of God and nothing was going to stop him from it. The second test was the test of loneliness. And so what do you see in verses 3 to 5? What happens? It says, Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Verse 5. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. What is the message behind what they're saying here? What are they trying to do to Elisha? One thing you have to know in fulfilling a call is that there will be times of seasons of painful loneliness, okay, because of your faithfulness to God. I always tell people, and I've seen this in so many people and seeing them grow in their spiritual lives, accept being lonely. If you're not ready to be lonely, then your decision isn't a real decision. Because sometimes we feel like God is great, and all of a sudden I want to follow Him, I'm going to be great. And then you realize the people that I used to be with are no longer excited about being with me anymore. And so now I've chosen to be lonely because of my faithfulness to God. Loneliness is almost, I want to say, 99.99% mandatory for the walk with God. For following God and being faithful to God, you will experience loneliness and isolation. There's going to be time when the vision seems difficult. Not everyone sees what you see. Not everyone sees when you have a calling and you are saying, God is leading me in this way. Everyone around you doesn't see what you see. And so they will abandon you or they will criticize you or they will ridicule you until they see what it is that you saw. But it might be a long time. Often you find a prophet, you find a leader, you find one who is called by God who sees something, who sees a piece of dirt and sees a great future for that piece of dirt. He sees something, he sees its potential. If you've ever seen one of those people, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody that will buy a piece of land and it looks like a piece of junk and he says, this is going to be the future kingdom of God where tens of thousands of people will come and worship God here. You look at him, you say, you're standing here by yourself and you don't have any money. And that's an ugly piece of dirt. And then all of a sudden, that person sees something. That person sees what God is telling them and he will only follow what God is calling him to. And that's part of the calling. Because the calling is so important. You must understand that you are going to see only, th- or people won't see what you're seeing. Three factors isolated Elisha from the prophets. Number one was jealousy. They were glad to see that the relationship between Elijah and Elisha was going to go. So they kept on saying, I just want you to know, Elijah's leaving. You're, he's going to forsake you and you're going to have no Elijah here. They were happy to see that the one that was supporting him was going. They were jealous and they were envious of that deep bond that he had with his master or with his, what Elijah had with his own disciple. The second thing was, is that Elisha, his size was going to be shrunk when Elijah was no longer around. Let's see if you're going to still be able to carry on a big vision. And so what they're saying is, once Elijah goes, you're nobody. All you are are the disciple of Elijah. Once Elijah leaves you, you're going to be shrunk down to size and we'll know who's the real Elisha. It was a test of his security and his identity. It was a test of his security and his identity. God wanted to see, is your security in God? Or is it your security in the power of Elijah and the great miracles that he does? And if Elijah's gone, then we're all dead meat. 
His security was in the God of Elisha. His identity was, I am a prophet of the God of Elisha, of Elijah, not of Elijah. Okay, it's his God, not him. And that was what God wanted to test him. It's a test of loneliness. And then it's a test of great sense of responsibility. It's like saying, by the way, Elijah is leaving, the great hero. All this is going to fall on your shoulders. Are you ready for it? Are you ready to take on that huge responsibility? The great prophet Elijah, who by his words can bring fire down from heaven at any time. Are you ready to carry on that huge burden? And so God is testing again. It's a test of loneliness that you will carry this responsibility on your own. He's saying, look, people are going to look at you the same way they looked at Elijah. Will you be able to do his work? Will you be able to do what Elijah does? You are going to have a huge responsibility. Again, that's going to lead us to the third test, which is the test of faith. And you see that in 2 Kings 2, verses 7 to 8. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. One thing that God wanted to show Elisha in the beginning of his call is that God is free to interrupt the laws of nature anytime he wants to. And if you're going to be my servant, you have to trust in him. That God at any time can snap his finger and interrupt the laws of nature. He's going to hit the water and it's going to part. Can God do it? Yes. And that's why if you're going to follow God, you must follow a God that is mighty. A God that is supernatural. And that's exactly what was shown to him. You must be ready to be used supernaturally. God is calling us today and he's saying, stop being the average Joe. If you let me use you, I need to use you supernaturally because I'm God. Because I'm God and I have to be God. And I will be God through you, but I won't be man through you. I need you to live and work for a supernatural God. Also something that you see is that Elisha was going to be a liberator. And so what he did was symbolic of what Moses did. When he parted the Jordan River, he's saying, who did this before? Moses. Who did this before? Joshua, you are going to be like them. You are going to liberate the people of Israel from their oppressors, the evil rulers of Israel, the other enemies that they were going to face. You will have the same work of liberating. If you want to increase your faith, you have to consent to having your faith tested. A lot of you will say, God, increase my faith. Watch what you pray for, okay? God will put you through trials in which you have to have faith because your magic wand isn't working anymore, okay? Now you have to depend on God. You're outside the scope of your own control. If you want God to increase your faith, be willing to be tested. And it is a wonderful thing to be tested. It is a very difficult thing to be tested. But when God tests His people and He teaches you faith, He's going to show you mighty things. God tests our faith. This is something that is wonderful mystery, right? A lot of churches, we try to make God this big, right? He's just nice, he's sweet, we sing to him, that's it. There's an element of mystery. Our God, it's an element of faith. You see bread, but it is body. You drink wine, but it is blood, okay? God's presence is here. We feel surrounded by the presence of his angels and his presence is in our midst. It's an element of mystery. Two people walk into church, two people walk out. God sees them as how many? One. The two have become one. We need to be more acquainted with a God who is not predictable, okay? And that's, I think, where a lot of us believers struggle. We want God to be predictable. Of course, God has to respond in this way. If God has common sense, and if God were to ask me, God should obviously work in this way, right? 
All he has to do is just pick up a phone and call me. I'll be happy to tell him how to do it. God is not predictable. And we have to understand how to live with a God that is not predictable. And then it says, The other prophets, they stayed at a distance while he clung to Elijah, the man of God. The man who knows how to move according to the spiritual work of God. The prophets tried to play it safe. They watched from a distance. While Elijah clung to who? The one who was performing the miracles. And that's part of our calling. In order to walk in faith, you must take risks. And what are some of the risks that we're going to see in the story? Crossing the Jordan cut him off from the status quo. So Elijah broke the Jordan. They crossed the Jordan. And now he cut them off from the prophets that were mediocre. The one who is going to fulfill a call when he follows Elijah, okay, will be cut off from status quo and mediocrity or being just average. All right. Number two, he was going to, number, sorry, number one is he was going to be shunned by his peers. There's no company with the skeptics. He didn't keep company with all the prophets that didn't believe that Elijah could do it. He stuck to who? The man of God. He stuck to Elijah himself. And he said, this is what I need to do. The second thing is, you will be in danger. The other side of the Jordan, when they crossed the Jordan, was enemy territory. They were walking in enemy territory and it was unknown territory. Along with the call, there will be danger. Also, you're going to go out on a limb for God. You're going to go out on a limb in crossing a river that might, be, might not work. You know, if he puts the cloak and it works halfway, what's going to happen? He could potentially drown in crossing this Jordan. We're not looking at, it's not like a, a creek. It's a river. It's like crossing the Nile River. Okay, it's something huge. The fourth thing was the test of his ambition. And you'll see that in verses 9 to 10. And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? He's saying, I'm willing to give you a blank check. Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. All right, I'm going to end here. Number one, Elisha's call wasn't carnal. He didn't have a carnal call. He wasn't saying, come on, make me popular like you. If everybody could see that I'm Elijah, then this will be great. He said, I want to be able to carry on your work, so I'm going to need some power. I need to carry on the work of God. I'm going to be facing hard rulers. It's going to be difficult. Give me some of the grace that is in you. Now, he's not saying, give me a double portion of what you are. That's like me saying, okay, God, give me a double portion. I want to be twice as strong as Moses the prophet. That's a little bit, you know, hard to ask. He's not saying, let me be twice as strong as Elijah. He's saying, give me the double portion which is allotted to the firstborn son. The firstborn son in the Jewish tradition would always get a double portion of the inheritance. So he's saying, I'm your number one disciple. I've clung to you. I've learned from you. Give me a double portion of what you're going to give, that grace of what you as a teacher will give. And this is something that we find in the spirit of discipleship. Like I said, it's an inheritance of the firstborn son. And then in 11a and 11b, like the first half of 11, the second half of 11, we're going to end here. Then it happened as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So he says, you have to see me when I'm taken away from you, and it, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So what was it that, how was he going to get the double portion of Elijah? I'm going to end here. First one. Keep walking with those who have the power. Keep walking with Elijah. Follow the man of God and keep walking with him and you will learn to be like him. Second thing is keep talking with those that have it. Learn. Take spiritual advice from those who have that grace. 
Spend time in discussing and speaking to the prophets of God. Find out how they live. What practices do they practice? How do they read the Bible? How do they pray? How do they stand up before God? What do they do when they sin? Walk with them, talk with them, and then watch them. Watch what others do and imitate their ways. Elijah, Elijah told them, this is going to be something difficult for me just to give you a double portion. He says, but if you see me when I'm carried away, what does that mean? He's saying, I can't give it to you. I can't give my disciple my spirit. But he's saying, if you see me as I'm being taken away, their eyes would be looking where? Up. To the one that gives. He's saying, look to God who will give you that portion. If you see me when I'm carried away, you'll be looking up and gazing into heaven and God himself will give you that grace. I can't give it to you. You can learn from me and you can watch me, but the one that can give you the double portion is God himself. I pray that we would learn from the call of Elisha and all the details that are in that call and all the characteristics of the call, and all the criteria and the risks that one might face in a call, that we would obey it, fulfill it, and be part of God's heroes of faith, and glory be to God forever. Amen. You've been listening to 153greatpodcast.com, a ministry of 153greatfish.com. Please subscribe, and better yet, help us by contributing. God bless you. Thank you.